This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Are you thinking about doing your own podcast, but you don't know how? Well, have you heard about Anchor? It's actually the platform that I'm hosting through this right now. And yes, it's free. Not only is it free, it's super easy to use. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more. It's really that easy. And guess what? You can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's a big deal. So it's really everything you need in one place to make an amazing podcast. All you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Americanized Chinese dishes like orange chicken, Mm -hmm. general so's, right? Those Those aren't like real Chinese dishes. Those are just, those were created in America for the white man, Mm. right? And, but the reason why they did that is because it comes from a business standpoint, Mm. right? Like I got to stay in business. So I got to feed these, these, (laughs) I got to be able to sell this food. And the only people around me are all white. So they're, I got to make sure it fits their palate, right? Nothing wrong with like fried chicken, like dunked in orange sauce, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's how those dishes came about. But then you look at all these, but like Chinese food is the only one that has that. But you look at other cuisines like Vietnamese, Korean, Japanese. In five, four, three, two, one. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Genius Brain Podcast. I have a very, very special guest here today. Uh, Chef extraordinaire. <laughs> my man, why don't you introduce yourself today? Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Matt Ewan. I have been working professionally as a chef now for the past eight years. Um, been working in some pretty cool kitchens such as Luxon, Spago, uh, now I'm at, I'm, um, the chef de cuisine at Riot Games. So I help oversee their food program and, you know, make sure they get fed you know, yeah. every day. I mean, I think, uh, I, I've been bringing a couple of chef people on, like I mentioned before we started this podcast, but hold on, I'm gonna burp real quick. <coughs> oh, there it is. Thank God. I biked all the way over here. Um, but I, I feel food is something that's been expanding so fast lately, um, in terms of not just like restaurant, but just the scene alone. In terms of entertainment, you see it over on Instagram, Twitter, and everything else like that. And one of the biggest things that uh, specifically I know a lot of people message me about, they go, well, I, I want to be in food too. How do I do that? I don't really know how to answer that because <laughs> I do branding and marketing for a lot of food spots. And you know, every now and then I'll do you know, R&D on some type of food, yeah. but it's it's not to like a restaurant level because I don't know what that involves per se. I just know I've seen the back of when you were working at Luxon and I was like, hell no. <laughs> you know? I was like, hell no, dude. It's so difficult. It's different. You know, it's like, because for me, I, I made a career change when I was like 27, right? So I was in sales when I was 18 to like 27 and I decided, you know what? I don't want to be in sales anymore. And I decided that, you know, I've always had this like desire to cook. Right. And I think a lot of people have like this you know, urge, you know, cause they have this interest and hobby that they have in the kitchen or at home and they cook for their friends and they make these amazing meals and all their friends tell them, Hey, you should become a chef. And I'm, you know, I had the same thing. I had a bunch of friends that tell me that, but I knew that I had to really dive all the way in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have to really get in there and, See it for yourself what it's really like before you can make the decision and go and open a restaurant, right? And so for me, it's like, you know, I I made a decision. I was like, I I committed fully to it. I went to culinary school 
And while I was working in, while I was going to culinary school, um, <clears throat> I was, I worked as a dishwasher. Right. And so I did everything from like the ground all the way up. Right. Yeah. So I'd, you know, work from every position in the, in the back of the house in the kitchen. Right. And then finally, I, you know, I, I was able to become a sous chef at Luxon. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's totally different. Like you, it's, it's not what you think it really is. Yeah. Right. Like you just have no idea until actually get in there. And it's, it's, it's so much harder than it. And actually you actually see it on TV. It's, it's 10 times harder than it actually is when you're actually doing it on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I mean, on TV, it looks fucking hard, dude. Yeah, <laughs> right? it's, not, like, it's, it's harder than that. Yeah. I, I, well, I think also too, because you, you, you definitely went into the more high-end restaurants, right? Um, what's like the day-to-day like when you first started? I mean, obviously as, as a dishwasher, but let's say you become a, a sous chef, what are your responsibilities? It, I, mean, I guess it depends on the restaurant, you know, mm-hmm. it depends on where you're at, but for the most part, you know, you're in a leadership role, right? And so at Luxon, you know, I was pretty much like the main guy in charge at that point, right? And so I had um, about 10 other people that I was overseeing. And, you know, I just made sure everything ran smoothly mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. I, I did some of the um, R&D to help come up with new dishes. Um, you know, I managed the numbers, you know, making sure that, you know, the labor costs and food costs was, you know, in check, Um and at that point, once you move into like a leadership position in the kitchen, it's a lot less about the cooking, right? Mm. People still think that, you know, you're supposed to be behind the line cooking these, you know, everything for the, for the restaurant, but it's not so much the case anymore. It's like, it's just like in any leadership position, you're, it's more about the people now than it is actually about the cooking, right? So uh-huh. for me, it was 80% management now and then 20% actually cooking. Mm. Right. I spend more time like making sure, um, you know, more time like doing research and development and, 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 uh, behind a computer a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like you, you, you don't, this, at first, like this is what I signed up for. I thought I was going to be behind the kitchen or in the, in the kitchen cooking, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you gotta be able to learn how to manage others. And, and especially in the kitchen, you, you have so many different types of people. Right. The dynamic yeah. is, you know, a lot of times, you know, th- these people are, um, they come from rough backgrounds, you know, and some, a lot of them are immigrants and a lot of them, um, you know, some don't really speak any English, you know, you get admit like a whole mismatch yeah. of just people and you just got to learn how to manage them, you know, P- people managing is probably the, the hardest part, right? And yeah. I, and I think that just comes with, with any business and that's not something that, I think a lot of people understand before their business starts to grow, right? And then right when you have to get into this position where like, okay, these aren't just people. These are 30 different personalities. Right. How do I speak to them? How do I manage them? Because everybody, it's even like in relationships, personal relationships, you don't talk to every single one of your friends the same way. Right. You speak to them to how they communicate, how they interpret things. And you have to do that with like 30 employees. I'm like, how the fuck do I do this? <laughs> you know, it's fucking, I, I think it's damn near impossible sometimes, you know? It's tough. You know, now at Riot Games, I have like 35, 40 cooks that I oversee. You know, there's like a total of like, 90 plus employees on our side. Wow. And I, I, I oversee most of the cooks and I work with them on a daily basis. And yeah, that's, that's 35, 40 different personalities. Yeah. Right. And every single one of them I talk to in like a different way. Yeah. Right. I can't approach the guy that is in his fifties, who's much older than me, 
the same way I approach the kid that's like 22. Yeah. Right. It's, it, you get to figure out that dynamic. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky the fact that I have this experience being in sales and I was in management before I made this career change. And so I can take that, I can bring that to the table. You know, um, a lot of times most chefs, you know, they don't have that, that, that management experience. Right. And they kind of learn as they go and it's a lot tougher, you know, and it takes it. That's why it takes sometimes like certain cooks a long time to make that transition from being just a good cook to being a sous chef. Right. Cause you have to have that, that leadership skill that you can't really, it's hard to learn in a kitchen. Mm. Right. And so, you know, now being a chef at Riot Games, it's, it's like, now it's like a lot less cooking. I'm, it's more like 90% management, yeah, and like yeah, 10% yeah. cooking. So um, do, do you think um, cooking is something that everybody can learn? Or do you think that you people need a certain amount of talent and uh, a certain palate to know how to develop a dish? I think anybody can cook, right? I think everybody should learn how to cook. And I think it's not like, because cooking is a technique, mm-hmm. right? It just comes down, it boils down to really the technique first. And you and you learn the skill of how, how to like grill something, how to sear, how to braise something. That all can be taught, right? Um, it just depends on how well of a listener, how good of a student you are, right? Mm. And then as far as like how good your, your food tastes, that's going to take some like talent, mm. right? That's where the, your palate and understanding food comes into play, right? Yeah. But for the most part, everybody can, I mean, you can make a decent, you, you can learn to make a decent meal. Anybody yeah, yeah, can yeah. do that, right? I mean, I've seen, because uh, I mentioned this with uh, <clears throat> Chef Chris O, and I was telling him how when I, I did this Netflix show where I was a, a food judge, right? And it was, it was interesting because because of the accessibility of of cooking shows on YouTube and everything else, I think, and this was just something I was thinking to myself, how sometimes I think people are, they're, they're, they have so many things they want to put onto one dish, right? And right. then you, but it doesn't come out to one good bite. Yeah. You, you know, it becomes too <laughs> much. And like, I, I saw that a lot on the show where I could tell that they saw this technique here. They saw this ingredient somewhere else and they're like, this is going to be great in this dish. But when I ate it, I'm like, I could already tell before they put it, I was like, don't, please don't put that on. <laughs> you know, because it's too much, yeah. right? And so it's all these strong flavors or whatever else, these influences that they have on this one morsel and you put it in your mouth and it tastes like nothing. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And I think people get a little too excited. And I, and I wish, and I kind of saw this in myself when I started trying to cook a little more at home was that I was like, okay, well, let's let's just start with something that I know very well, right? That's something that's uh, already keen, that I'm already keen to, which is Korean food. Yeah. So once I was like, don't try to do Italian, don't try to do any of this, right. just do Korean. If you can get this right, then we'll, we'll, we'll go somewhere else after. Yeah. And I think that helped me out a lot because I at least understood these ingredients, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I think that was that was totally the case. It's, it really, it's really the case for like any young cook, mm. right? Anybody that is um, starting out and learning how to like, write a menu item. I, I had that same struggle when I was at Luxon. Like I would pitch all these like ideas to, you know, to saying, and he would just like tear them apart. Right. <laughs> and, um, but I didn't, you know, at first I didn't understand it, but once I've, you know, once he's meant, once he mentored me, I understood that you have to just kind of edit it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times when you're young and you don't have somebody there to edit your, your work, right. It's, you get this like, mess of like techniques and flavors because you want to try everything you want to try to impress people and you try to like do too much 
right? When it's really about stripping away rather than adding more stuff to it, right? Mm. And so the, it's, it also comes with like the maturity and your in your um, and the confidence that you have. Because when you're a new cook, like a lot of times you don't have that confidence yet of like making a good dish. You don't have the confidence of like the right techniques. So you try to do too much. You try to do everything to impress other people. But then the better cook you become and the better chef you become, you know, now it's more about how can I do, how can I make a dish with less ingredients in it and still make it taste really, really good. Oh, that's so, I, it's funny. I I literally thought about that maybe like a year ago. And when, you know, when you're at home and you're, you're cooking all these things and you're, you're looking at other people's recipes online, right? Mm-hmm. And then I... I really started doubting some of these recipes because I'm like, do you need these 36 spices? Like, can you can you actually taste it? And right. so I started modifying it myself. And I really started doing that where I was taking certain things that I, when I made it the, the first way, I tried somebody's recipe and I ate it. I'm like, I can't taste half of this shit. So what is, what in here is necessary and what isn't? And I feel like sometimes when people see that and they're, they're trying to innovate a recipe, they go, I'm just going to add more to this to say that it's my recipe. Yeah. And I started seeing that in a lot of these like online YouTube recipes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I know for a fact that you can't taste that shit. <laughs> you know, they do like this fried chicken recipe and it's like right. two cups of flour and they put a half a teaspoon of ginger. Why? You're not tasting that. A hundred percent. Right. And so I'm, I started buying all these extra spices and ingredients. And I think I started kind of believing into that hype where I was like, oh, do I do this in my food too? Do I just add stuff just to say it's different? You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. You just got to strip it away. We used to call it, um, we used to call it flies fucking. <laughs> Because like you, you never see in nature, you can't see, you know, yeah. flies like fornicating, but yeah. you know, it's like, if you can't see it, then it shouldn't be there. Right. And so mm. like the food, it's like, you know, do you have all this stuff in there? Is it just flies fucking or is it like really need, does it really need to be there? Mm. Right. Can you even see it? Like, can you even tell that it's there? Right. I, I think one of my, like some of my favorite restaurants too, it's just, uh, they, they do a very specific dishes very well, you know, like Din Tai Fung. Mm-hmm. Then Tai Fung, the Shaolong Bells are so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I go there, I'm not, they don't have like 86 different flavors. It's no. kind of, it is what it is. And they execute it so well. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a dish that a thousand other places make, but for some reason they just do it that much better. Right. And when people ask me, I, I had a buddy of mine named Billy and he was coming over to LA and he goes, yo, I want to try some of the best like Shaolong Bells here. Right. I was like, you guys have, have you tried Din Tai Fung? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I was like, I, I mean, there are other places that do. There's a place out in Pasadena, and I think he was a chef from Din Tai Fung, uh-huh. Dan's Modern. And I think he he just put his own little twist to it. But right. when I have his dumplings, it tastes just like Din yeah, Tai Fung. Yeah, it's probably much, much the same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? and so. I was like, this is the same as Din Tai Fung, <laughs> you know? I, I think that's the cool thing, too, where you're, where you're talking about when you strip away, you do something really, really well. And a lot of the dishes that I personally like are old are a lot more simple than it is more complicated. Yeah. It just doesn't need to have all these bells and whistles a lot of times. Yeah. So, but you know, that's just how it is when you're, when you're, you know, again, like you're not, um, you don't have the confidence level yet. You know, Mm. you're trying to just do too much. When you, when you were 27 and you, what were you doing before? Uh, I was in sales. So I sold, I sold knives. Tight. <laughs> oh, kind of connects, yeah. What, what knives were you selling? So I was selling a brand called Cutco. Cutlery. Oh, Cutco. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I remember Cutco back in the day when they were doing door-to-door sales with people. Yeah. Right? So I was like, I got a uh, recruiter when I was 18, right out of high school. And I did that 
all throughout my my first summer out out of high school into college, paid my way through college with it. Learned learned how to like make cold calls and yeah. you know and um, really developed my my communication skills and and um, got some management experience. And I think when I graduated college, there wasn't much of a you know it was two thousand seven when I graduated. So it was right before our recession. And so the job market was looking really slim. And this podcast is brought to you by Skillshare. Are you that type of person that wants to start or explore a passion, but you don't think you have the time or maybe you don't even know where to start? That's where Skillshare comes in. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes to help you explore new skills and learn things on your own time and schedule. Listen, there are a lot of things that I want to do and learn and Skillshare actually has a dope amount of classes that I can learn online. The classes are endless. And if you're someone like me that loves learning things on their own time, this is what you really do need to get. Right now, I'm actually doing a course called Filmmaking from Home. And the tips that I use from it, I actually still use it in my videos. Learning is such a process and everybody learns on on their own pace. And honestly, because they have such a huge library, I can pick and choose everything that I want to learn. And it's something that I really enjoy. I feel a lot of the times people don't like learning because they're not doing it at their own pace. And Skillshare just has these courses that you can pick and choose from all the time. And it's something that I personally really, really do love. So explore your creativity and get two free months of premium membership at Skillshare.com slash brain. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started and join today by heading to Skillshare.com slash brain. That's two free months of unlimited access to thousands of classes at Skillshare.com slash brain. They offered me a district manager position, so I took it. Oh, wow. And so I did that for another five years, and then I just got burnt out and and realized I didn't want to do it for the next five years. So I was like, you know what? I just got to close up shop and then, um, yeah, move back move back to my parents and, and uh, try to figure out what I wanted to do next. And that was when I decided, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook. So I think the turning point really was um, the conversation with my, my grandma, you know, because, you know, when I moved back home, my grandma was, she, she was pretty ill and we knew that her time was, you know, coming to an end and, and, you know, we, you know, I had a conversation with her and she, I think she saw the struggle that I was having. Right. And she, she can feel it. And she, you know, grandma's just have that sense. And, yeah. and she just told me, um, you know what, just do what you love. And, you know, and I, I think she was kind of hinting the fact that, you know, she always knew that I loved to cook. You know, I've been cooking by her side since I was like eight years old. So she was like, just kind of pushing me in that direction. And I, I just decided, you know what, I, I'm going to go and do it. I'm just going to just dive right in. Uh, I'm, I'm only 27. And I was like, I might as well do it now rather than later. And I think uh, one of the conversations I had with one of my friends is, you know, she, she told me, um, are you going to regret, you know, not making this decision or are you going to, you know, are you going to, you know, five years down the line, are you going to regret not making this decision to go and cook or are you going to, are you going to regret not making it at all? Right. Yeah. So, you know, and that ultimately just said, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to go and do this. There's, there's nothing I can lose, you know? Yeah. And so um, now it's been eight years now since this, that's in that point. And, you know, I'm really happy doing what I love, you know, and I think a lot of people, you know, they have, they can't, they, they struggle finding something they enjoy doing. 
And, you know, I, I was very passionate about cooking and that's why I just, you know, made the career change and, and went for it. Was that, was that a very scary feeling for you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, especially with, you know, being Chinese American, like your, your parents, they, they, <laughs> they, they want you to like, they don't want you to become a cook, right? That's like, that's like the, the, the bottom of the totem pole, yeah, so right? That's what we had to do when we got here type of thing. Exactly. Why would you do it? Yeah. Like they, they wanted better for you. Right. And so, um, you know, they wanted me to become a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. Like it was like becoming a chef was like, it's like shunned almost. <laughs> right? And it's, it, take, it took a lot of time before my, my parents were convinced that this was something that I would excel at. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, you know, a lot of it was when, um, I think I did, I did a pop-up once. I did a pop-up um, right when I was still in culinary school. It was really early in my, my cooking per, cooking career. And I did this pop-up. I negotiated with this, like, bakery owner to let me use their kitchen at night mm-hmm. and hold a pop-up for, like, 40 people. Yeah. And I made I made the deal happen. And, you know, they got a piece of the pie. And, and uh, I just had people come and just showed up. It was, yeah. it was kind of amazing. My, my parents were kind of impressed by the fact that I did something like that. Um, and then I think, you know, once they saw me, you know, how hard I worked at it and, and, you know, all the progression that I've made in the last few years and now, you know, being in the chef de cuisine over at Riot, I think they're, they're happy. They're, they're, yeah. they're glad that I made this decision, um, which is, which is great. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, food, food is so, it's gone through such a huge transformation, I think, in the in in the recent years, you know. And I, I think what I really liked too was, you know, is what Jonathan Gold kind of added into the scene of food, right? It was that whole concept of, you know, we we only thought amazing food could be at a fine dining restaurant, right? And uh, when Jonathan Gold were he was giving out his Jonathan Gold stars to these mm-hmm. places like Marisco's Jalisco, right? And some of these like Sichuan restaurants out yeah. in the SGV. It kind of opened up uh, a conversation about what amazing food can be, you know, and even for me too. And I think because I grew up watching all this Food Network stuff and, you know, PBS and all this like free tell about food, they would only talk about restaurants like French Laundry or whatever, whatnot, right? right? Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I was being fed this thing of like, only that can be amazing food if it has a high price tag. And uh, I remember when I came to LA and there was like these, a lot of aha moments I had with foods. I was like, damn, fucking Mexican food is insane here. <laughs> you know, I was like, what is this taco? Right. You know, and I, cause my perception it was a Mexican food was a fat, huge, wet burrito that was just stuffed down my face. And I'm like, this is some good Mexican food. And then I remember just going to these little taco spots and all these other little joints. And I'm like, this is, this is amazing. And when I was going to Marisco's Jalisco, I was eating it. I didn't even know Jonathan Gold went there, but it was yeah. like that that tacos dorado that they serve mm-hmm. i was like this is so fucking That's good one of the best things in la yeah and then i saw this little jonathan gold i was like what the fuck this is nuts you know but it, it was kind of cool what he was doing man and i really appreciated that especially because he showed a lot of love to to asian cuisine yeah you know? i think he showed a lot of love to all the mom and pops yeah right and just kind of put pe- people put the spotlight on on the ones that normally don't get a spotlight mm-hmm. right and you know we have so many amazing amazing restaurants in la um, and it's not just about fine dining. I mean, this, the fine dining in LA didn't really, you know, hit it. I mean, it's really hit its peak in the last couple of years where you have like these amazing tasting menus now. Um, but before that, like, you know, 10 years, 10 years ago, it wasn't really the case, right? Yeah. You have most of LA's food dining scene is like mom and pop. You yeah. know, think about, think about K-Town, 
right? Mm. All, all those amazing, like, you know, just mom and pop, you know, Korean spots, you know, same thing with SGV and, and all these other, like all these neighborhoods, all these ethnic neighborhoods that we have here um, that make LA great is, is just all this amazing, amazing food. I think he did an amazing job, like highlighting all of that. So. I think what LA does really well in terms of food, because there's like a few food meccas that they talk about in the United States, right? San Francisco, uh, LA, and New York. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that LA offers is I don't want to say like the word is authenticity, but they, if a Korean restaurant serves something, that's what they're going to serve. You know, it doesn't matter if 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 there's a seasonal vegetable around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not going to be on the menu. Right. So they, if you want that, like you want, I don't know, kamjatang from a very specific place, mm-hmm. that's what they're going to serve. Just because winter came around or summer came around, you're not going to find um, fucking some seasonal vegetable beets or some shit in there, <laughs> you know? But I think that's what, that's, I guess like, that's what I, I don't say if I like or dislike this in New York, but it's some of the places just started tasting pretty much the same. Yeah. Because I kept on seeing the repetitive stuff because they want to keep seasonal vegetables, all this other stuff. And I'm like, but this is a Japanese restaurant. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't want ramps here. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So, uh, I mean, I think the food in New York is really amazing, but I think I appreciated that about LA is that if you wanted that quote unquote authentic food experience, that something that they were good at, they're, they're going to have that. Right. You know? It's not going to change. It's like you can find almost anything you want here in yeah. LA. Right. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. You can go, you know, you can drive across town and then actually you, you'll never be able to taste, every, go to every single restaurant in LA. There's, that's almost impossible. It's like, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's damn near impossible. Right. Yeah. And so, but you have so many different ethnic groups, There's mm-hmm. so many corners of LA that, you know, have this amazing food and it, it kind of, it's tough now because obviously with COVID and everything, but like a lot of these mom and pop shops are all closing, mm-hmm. right. Which is scary because you, you lose like this, um, the story, you know, yeah. in LA, right? And like, you, know, you think about, especially in K-Town, I see a lot of these, these like places that do the specific dish, right? That are going to just disappear. Mm-hmm. And the, the kids aren't going to take over yeah. because again, it goes back to the American, you know, the Asian American story of like, I don't want my kids to own a restaurant, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're going to lose this amazing history of like, of food, and that's kind of scary to me right now, you know, especially in the you know whole restaurant scene and just places just shutting down. Yeah, that's that's interesting because that is a very. I never really thought about that too because hmm, there's. I think our generation is very unique, right? We're we're in this point where the next generation there aren't going to be as much first gen immigrants, right? Right. So they would they take over their parents' restaurants? I don't. I don't know. And right. if they don't, who's Who's gonna Who's gonna serve that food? Yeah, you know, I I I never really thought about that shit. A lot of the stuff that we're experiencing now, maybe the next generation won't even get to have. Exactly. Oh shit. Exactly. Well, well, now I'm depressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, because you just don't have that same that same immigration coming in. Yeah, you know, and then the reason why these people came, is, you know, they wanted you know better life for themselves, but they opened up restaurants because that was the only thing they knew how to do. Yeah. Right now it's it's totally different. Now you have this next generation and. And yeah, like I said, they they don't want their kids to become restaurant owners. Yeah, yeah, because owning a restaurant is like one of the toughest things you can do. That's true. It's it's a, and some of my favorite Korean restaurants too. And there are other Korean restaurants that are opening up now, but I think um, some th- these restaurants I don't really like to go to as much because I feel like they are trying to Americanize their food 
too much to the point where it doesn't taste like the original food anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many times Korean people can melt cheese over something. Right. You know, it's like, I don't need it. Like, if yeah. I want to melt it, I'll go get a fucking pizza. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you don't need another Korean gastropub. <laughs> exactly. In, in Koreatown. <laughs> and, and every time something new opens up, it's like, hey, we're going to melt cheese on this. And I'm yeah. like, I, I don't need that. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You need, you need like the... The soulful, like home cooked type meal from like for sure, like your your true Korean mother. You yeah, know? it's and something that's very very difficult to replicate, you yeah. know, because they do something very unique very well, and that's starting to I think disappear sometimes because people want the Instagrammable photo, right? Right. Which is why you see a string cheese pool everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I saw this. True. I saw this video on Instagram the other day. It was a burger, right? Mm-hmm. They stuck a knife through it, and then they they dumped like I don't know, like a pound of just fondue cheese all over it, and they had a steak on top of it. And I'm like, who the fuck would eat that? <laughs> who the fuck is gonna eat that? <laughs> you it's know, it's gonna get like a million likes. Anyway, yeah, and it has like a million fucking views on it. And I'm looking at it, and people are like, drool. I was like, would you really eat that? You know, like, and this is. I'm still a pretty fat guy. I, I, I don't want that. I don't no. look at that and say, that is appetizing. Yeah, right. You know? So I, I don't understand. And it's it's very sad and kind of exploitive of what food can be, you know? Um, I'm not smug. I mean, I, I, I eat McDonald's regularly. You know, I, I still like <laughs> I my shit food. Yeah, you know what I mean? I eat McDonald's. I eat all my junk food. You know, one of my favorite joints that I still eat to this day is the hat, the pastrami sandwich joint. I fucking love that spot. Like, uh, just because I eat great food doesn't mean that that's the food I choose to eat most of the time. But that's like more on the uh, every now and then. My everyday food is is nuts. <laughs> Side note, there is like this new, like amazing pastrami place. That opened uh, in West Adams in LA called Johnny's. Really good. So good. So good. They, oh, they, they smoke their pastrami in house and, you know, they have like, you got your pastrami Rubens, your, your thinly sliced pastrami sandwiches. You got like pastrami burnt ends. Oh, wow. Have you been to, uh, have you tried this spot that was out in Smorgasburg called Ugly Drum? I have not. No. So he was, he was the, I, from what I remember from the conversation I had with him, he used to smoke all the briskets for blood sows uh-huh. and then he did his own thing now. But I wonder if, it, cause I had that sandwich and I was like, this is fucking good. Cause he smoked <laughs> his pastrami yeah. just like he did the the brisket over at blood sows. And he also had the burnt end stuff too. And I was kind of, when I ate it, I was like, oh shit, this is, this is better than Langer's. Dude. <laughs> uh, people were like, is it really? I was like, it's substantially better when it's smoked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's something else. Right. It's, you know? it's completely different. It's know? so fucking good. What's that place called again? Johnny's. Johnny's. Okay. I got So they it, the chef there, um, he has another spot called Mies Lala mm-hmm. on West Adams. And Johnny's used to be it used to be a pastrami, just like a an old pastrami restaurant there on West Adams, but then it closed down. He went in there and just revamped the whole thing. Oh so, shit. Yeah. It's dope. And see, and those are the spots too that once again they specialize on something yeah. really, really good. And that's it. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've definitely found out like um just if I went down a list of everything that I like, it's always a restaurant with one or two great things. Yeah. You know, and they're like, What about this stuff on the menu? I was like, I got no fucking clue. I don't go there for that. <laughs> right. You don't need a restaurant with like 30 menu items. Yeah. So. That's why uh, those Hong Kong style cafes, like they have <laughs> so much shit. I don't know it's what like the every, f- everything under the sun. You know? <laughs> yeah. They want to they want to appeal to everybody that walks through the door. They have grilled cheese sandwiches, French fries, they have all this other shit. Yeah. Then you have like Hong Kong style like fried noodles. I'm like, what is going on? I don't understand what the fuck I'm supposed to order here how the fuck do they stay open like you know yeah. 
Yeah, I, I used to I, mean, I used to go there a lot as a kid. Like those are like those are the spots. Those are the spots. You know, those are also the spots after like going to the club, and then you. Yep. <laughs> they're still open till like four a.m. So. Was it? What's the one that I used to? Was it Tasty Garden? I used to always go to. it. There's like a few of those spots. There's yeah. like one, and uh, God, when I was like two hundred and eighty pounds, dog, that's the spot that I would go to. <laughs> number one, it's very inexpensive. Yeah, like yeah. it's super cheap. It doesn't even make sense why it's. Like, <laughs> how can it be that inexpensive? Like you're not even making the, like where are you getting this chicken from? Like <laughs> why is it so cheap? <laughs> I was like, are they just like breeding them themselves? Like I don't understand. They're it's you could buy food for like six people for like fifty eight bucks. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's ridiculous. And then you'll have leftovers. Yeah, right. I, I remember uh, just like having I didn't know like, like what Hong Kong style cafes were, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the food is actually very unique just from regular Chinese food that you have. Yeah, it's like this. It's that that British or American influence in the food. Right. And I, when I first looked at the menu, I was like, "Is this what is this?" <laughs> you know, like I, I remember I had the. Uh, the tomato pork chop over rice. Uh-huh. And I was like- It's one of my favorite dishes. I was like, the fuck is this disgusting looking <laughs> thing? And then I bit into it. I'm like, damn, this is fucking good. Yeah. It looked like some drunk person just went to the back and made whatever the fuck they want and then put it on a dish. It's well, and pretty much it's like, you think about where it comes from, right? Again, it is like that British influence. So mm. It's like Chinese people trying to please the white palate. Oh, right. So there's like a classic. This podcast is brought to you by better help. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Or maybe you realize that your mental health just needs a boost or it's something you haven't really focused on in your life. See this year, especially since we've been cooped up with limited social interactions, we really need to check in on our mental health. I will always say this, but just to say it again, your mental well-being is as important as your physical well-being. For those of you who don't know, better help is great because they can match you with your own professional licensed therapist. You can schedule your sessions via phone, communicate and message online, do video calls, and you can even change your counselors if needed. If you're at home and you want to try online counseling, give this a try, please. I love it and you can too. If you want to give this a try, Genius Brain listeners, I got the hookup. To get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp, just type in betterhelp.com slash genius to get that offer today. Once again, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash genius. The most classic British and like Hong Kong influenced dish is um, macaroni noodles, uh, macaroni soup with like ham or like spam. Yeah. What the fuck is that? That's what, so that's what <laughs> that a was. Fried egg and something like that. Yeah. yeah. I always saw that on the menu. And it's, I'm like, it's like a Hong Kong like comfort food. Like <sighs> it's just like, it's literally just like chicken broth, some elbow macaroni, <laughs> yeah. some cut up ham or spam if you got it, and a fried egg. And that's like your breakfast item. And so it's just weird. It's it's just, again, it's like, it comes from like being colonized. You know, you mm-hmm. have these in, random ingredients. Let's just make something and, and please this new crowd. That's <laughs> fuck. I, when I, whenever I saw that on the menu, I, I had no idea. I thought that was just some fucking drunken mistake. <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that that was like a Hong Kong style staple dish. Yeah. It's an absolute like comfort food. Like I remember eating it as a kid, you know? And so my, my mom would make it for me at home and, and and when you go to Hong Kong, you go to these places called uh, Cha Cheng Tang, um, and you get this type of food. You get that, and you'll get like a pineapple bun there. You'll get like like peanut butter stuffed French toast. What the fuck? That's yeah. nuts. Yeah. And then you have like your, your kanji, and then you also have like this whole mishmash of like random stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's just like part of a, of a Hong Kong breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, I also asked like Chef Chris about this stuff too, but uh, uh, 
I, I think like food has become such a touchy subject for a lot of people, especially when it comes to uh, like white people making Asian food, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm always like back and forth on this type of stuff only because I feel like a lot of the food that I partake in is there is fusion food, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, I use this example before, like uh, like Peruvian food. Yeah. That's that's Asian food and, you know, like South right. America all mixed into one, yeah. you know? So there's like this beauty of people kind of partaking into certain dishes. Like I read this tweet the other day where somebody was like, if you don't like fish sauce, don't try to, uh, don't try to like anglicize it just to make it sure that somebody could tr- uh, like it for their palate, you know, or whatever, whatnot, right? And for me, I had a little bit of an issue with that. Um, and a lot of people under that comment were saying like, yeah, if you don't want to have, just don't have it at all. And I'm like, well, where's the conversation happening here, right? Because let's be real, fish sauce smells like shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fermented fish guts. It's oh, yeah. terrible, yeah. you know? And if I had something that I wanted somebody to try because they never had it before, I think I would like to give them a segue into maybe trying it later in the future. Right. Without just giving them putrid fish water. Right. You're not going to like spoon feed somebody like <laughs> yeah. fish sauce. Right? Yeah. So like for me, I, I, I'm trying to understand where that comes I, I think it's just comes from, you know, once again, when you were a kid and you, you had this Asian food and people used to make fun of you for it. And now yeah. you're having this pride of like, oh, I can be proud and be Asian and I don't want to change my dish to serve somebody else's palate, which I understand. Right. But at the same time, I still want people to understand our food and try it out because I think breaking bread is a huge way for people to connect. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I, I think it comes from like what area you're from too, right? Mm. Like now I think people are, so, are much more open to it than like 50 years ago. Oh, for sure. Right. Especially with Chinese food. Like like Chinese food in America has is made to fit the white palate, mm. right? Like you, you think about the most... Um, Americanized Chinese dishes like orange chicken, mm-hmm. General Tso's, right? Those were those aren't like real Chinese dishes. Those are just those were created in America for the white man, mm. right? And but the reason why they did that is because it comes from a business standpoint, mm. right? Like I got to stay in business, so I got to feed the, these. <laughs> these I, I got to be able to sell this food, and the only people around me are all white, so they're. I got to make sure it fits their palate. Yeah, right. Nothing wrong with like fried chicken, like dunked in orange sauce, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's how those dishes came about. Huh. But then you look at all these, but like Chinese food is the only one that has that. But you look at other cuisines like Vietnamese, Korean, Japanese. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it hasn't been like dumbed down to like be able to fit that, you know, fit the palate of, of somebody else. Right. Like you, you, it's, it's not like, like, it's not apologetic at all. It's, you know, you have, you go to a Korean restaurant, it's, it's a Korean restaurant. It's (laughs) not like you're not, you're not getting the specific dish that's been made here in America that you can't really be able to get in Korea. That's true. Right. Damn. I didn't really think about that shit. Yeah. That's That is very true. Yeah. I, I think like that space too, where that um, that Chinese American food came in, like that space is. I I always hate this conversation that I have with people when I like one of my favorite Chinese American restaurants is this place called Yang Chow's out in Chinatown. They have this thing <laughs> called Slippery Shrimp. <laughs> you know, it's so fucking good. Right. You know, and then uh, sometimes I I have conversations with other Asian Americans, and they're just like, "That's not real Chinese food," and I'm like. I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying I'm eating the food because I like the right. way it tastes. Like I, I'm like the same way. Like yeah. I'll 
I know I have some people that be like, that ain't real Chinese food. But like, I know in my heart, there's like a little tiny little space for like orange chicken. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's me too. <laughs> like, you're not, you're not going to tell me I'm not going to eat this orange chicken. Like, like a, <laughs> a little bit of my Chinese hood like disappears when I eat it, but yeah. I still love it. You know? Yeah, like that slippery shrimp thing. I'm like, the fuck is this? I'm like, this is fucking delicious. You know, <laughs> that place has been like a Chinese American staple. It's that fried rice with the peas, the carrots and all this other stuff. And when I eat it, I'm like... Yeah, the fried rice at maybe like uh, an, an authentic Chinese, it's going to taste better for sure. But I still have space for this. I still yeah. like this. Right. You know? It tastes good. <laughs> yeah, it tastes fucking good. Right. Like why Why should I have to apologize for liking the stuff that I grew up with? Because now you you're you found this, this gusto to be hardcore, you know, Asian. And now I can't enjoy the stuff that I grew up with. Like I'm suddenly a traitor. Right. You know, I feel odd, you know? Yeah. And I think food doesn't – I don't think food should have that. I think food – I do understand um, when people don't like it when – let's say – I'm just going to use white people, for example. Like a white person comes in and tells you how to eat your Asian food. It bothers me a little bit, <laughs> you know, especially when they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, right. right? But at the same time, there's a lot of like this fusion stuff that has happened here that I personally do enjoy. I think as long as the uh, – in terms of authenticity of that story of how that person made that dish – is fine. I'm okay with it. Like that, let's say a chef went to Korea. He lived in Korea. His wife's Korean. He opened up a Korean restaurant and it tastes fucking good. I got no problem. Right. <laughs> I'm going to eat his food. It tastes good. He did his due diligence. You know, I can't be mad at him for that. You right. Know? Yeah. yeah. Just as long as not some, somebody just throwing gochujang on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which does, which I get it. You know, that does happen a lot. Right. Yeah. And um, there was this video on Twitter that went viral because there was this guy that was like, I'm going to teach you how to make pho. And that shit looks so bad, <laughs> you know? And he just like, his pho noodles were all brown. And shit. I was like, what the fuck? What is that? What is this thing? You know? And people ask me like, you should roast this guy. I was like, I'm not going to roast no. him. If he, if he likes to eat his shit like that, then, you know, God be with you, you know? Yeah. But I don't think he's doing anything wrong per se. He's not telling you like, this is how pho should be. He's just making his garbage version. Of it. <laughs> this is my version of it. It, yeah. just, it just sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sucks. But if he wants to eat it, you whatever goes in your mouth and you shit it out, that's on you. You know, God be with you. Right. You know, and sometimes I always tell that to people with like when uh, like, oh, how do you make this? And I'm like, oh, shit, I don't really know because I do it like my mom does it. You know, I just kind of toss shit around. Just throw a bunch of stuff. Like in I'm there. not a professional chef. I don't I don't know what to tell you, you know. Yeah. And um, sometimes when people make their food, like shit, it tastes like this. And I always say this. Do you like it? And they go, yes, that's all that matters. Right. Because you're eating it. I'm not eating it. I can't yeah. tell you it tastes bad when you think it tastes delicious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not serving it to the public. Right. You know, it's home food. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I've been working a lot of like, so I'm working out, working from home, right? Mm -hmm. In the last, you know, what's it now? Five months. And, and in the last month or so, I've been like making these uh, really simple um, 30 minute meals for like these home cooks. And that's the thing with like cooking at home. It, it, it shouldn't be like super precise, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to like measure everything, you know, as long as it like makes sense and it, it comes out tasting good, you're, you're, you're good, right? It, it should be fine, right? Yeah. And so um, I think a lot of times people, when they start learning how to cook, they're like, they're so concerned about making sure that you, you really put in two tablespoons of this or one cup of this. And it's like you, you again, you lose the technique, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're so good at following these instructions, but, you know, cooking is more, becomes, it should be more instinctual, right? And mm -hmm. you should like learn what the basic technique of the dish is and what the basic flavor should be. And then that way you can replicate or use that technique for something else. 
you know, mm. right? I think I only recently probably started doing that. Like, well, for example, I, I started making like Korean mandus at home, right? Yeah. And then I asked my mom how she made it. And then I was like, fuck that. <laughs> you know? And I was like, you gave me the general idea. Right. And so I just made it for a bunch of friends the other day. And they were like, oh, how do you make these dumplings? I'm like, don't worry. We're just going to eat it. Just do it however you like. It doesn't have to be as pretty as mine. We're just going to eat it. It's fine. And so like if I gave that dumpling to my mom, she would say it's completely wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like the way I take – I like my dumplings like this. I think it's, in my personal opinion, better right. because it's to my palate, Right. So with Korean dumplings, there's a lot of filling. There's a whole shit ton of chives, a lot of noodles, yeah. you know, onions and everything else. I reduced the amount of chives <laughs> by half. <laughs> I added less noodles. Um, I added the, the the squeezed out tofu. But then there was other shit that I put in there that's not that's more typical to like Chinese dumplings, right? So yeah. like hoisin and everything else. And mm-hmm. I like the sweetness of it. And I just adjusted it to my own. And then the buddy was like, what did you put in? I was like. Actually, I don't know. Let me see. You know? <laughs> I had to backtrack. But at that point, it's because I know what these things taste like because I ate it so much. I'm just going to see what happens. Exactly. And so the next time you have my dumplings, it's going to taste a little different. <laughs> you know? And the third time, it's going to taste a little different. Exactly. Because I'm cooking at home. Yeah. You know? And it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter too much, right? It's yeah. Just, especially right now. Like, it shouldn't matter at all right now. <laughs> it's like, it really do- doesn't matter at all, right? I'm not... Like you look at my Instagram feed now versus when it before before this pandemic, it's like I'm just making sure I get through the day. <laughs> you know? so I can barely yeah. get I can barely get all the ingredients that I want. I'm just gonna make it through the day, you know, and just make sure my girlfriend is fed, and <laughs> she's not hangry, and yeah, it's just it's whatever we can do, you know. It's like it's it's more about like survival mode right now. Yeah. It's not really about getting fancy or anything. I, I think what people don't get to is like, um, I'll go to a, a friend's house, right? They go, oh, I don't really have a lot of ingredients. Like I can't make a lot of food. I look in their fridge. I'm like, you got a shit ton of stuff, dude. It's not that you don't have ingredients. It's just, you just don't cook. So yeah. you don't see the potential in all this other right. stuff. You know? Yeah. I think that's like with me, like everyone, people always ask me, it's like, oh, I don't know what to cook. And and I think it's, you just got to train your eyes, right? Like you gotta, you gotta be able to open the fridge and get to a point where like, oh, I know that this and this and this will go get, go well together. Right. Mm-hmm. But for most people, they haven't like been cooking most of their lives. And so, you know, it's, it's they're not used to it. Right. Like me as, you know, growing up, I was, I was a fat kid growing up. So, you know, coming home from school, like, you got to figure shit out. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> you know? How do I make these like pizza bagels taste better than just throwing them in the microwave? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so you, you, it's like you train yourself over all these years of like manipulating ingredients until you, 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 you make sure it tastes good, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think um, if you're a new cook starting out, it's just like you just got to start. You just got to start doing it, mess up a little bit. It's okay if you make a mistake right now. And then you just get better and better at it. And then soon you look at the fridge and then you're like, oh, I see it. It's like, you're like, you're like Neo. And you just start seeing yeah. these things. Like it just comes automatically to you. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so for you as, um, if you were to give like somebody advice on, you know, if they, let's say they wanted to get into cooking, what is something that you would tell them to do that you probably would have done differently just starting out? Like getting into the the career, the industry. Yeah, we're just cooking in general, right? Because I think it's daunting for a lot of people. If I if I ask somebody like, oh, you know, can you? Like, I don't want to cook for you. I was like, bro, I'm not that great of a cook. You know, first of all, you know, <laughs> like I think you just you're scared about something. Like even like even our. 
parents, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody was sitting there critiquing their fucking food. Right. They just did it repetitiously so often they just got better and better and better. Exactly. At it, you know? And it, that's, that's the thing. It's cooking is just like learning anything else, right? It's really about taking that first step and just trying, right? And you got to be open to making mistakes, you know, and, and you got to be open to learning from those mistakes. And that's all cooking really is. It's mm-hmm. like the first time you ever cook something, you're probably going to burn it or it's probably going to be under seasoned, right? But then it's a matter of, you know, adjusting, right? And so cooking to me, it's all about making all this like fine tuning. You know, you're, you're fine tuning everything um, until you get it to the point where it's almost perfect, mm-hmm. right? And there are, there's like dishes that I've worked on, like, like kanji, like I've made kanji like so many times in my life and I can probably make it with my eyes closed, but there are things that I can still do tomorrow if I make kanji that is going to make it better than it, it was the last time I made kanji. Right. Yeah. So a dish is, you know, food is always changing. Right. Yeah. And you just got to be able to be, you just to be willing to just go and make that first mistake and mm. then, and then learn from it. Yeah. So I think that's the first step, you know, for any home cook, um, if it's like for somebody who wants to get into the industry, I think you just got to find like a good mentor, you know, you got to find somebody that is going to, um, I mean, either you really commit yourself and go to culinary school or you find a kitchen that, you know, that has a great chef that's going to mentor you and, and guide you and teach you and let you, let you make mistakes. And then you learn from those mistakes. So again, the same thing. You just got to try and, and learn from all your mistakes along the way. Yeah. Hmm. I think the men, I think that's what I liked about um, kind of restaurants and chef, uh, chefs in like Japan. Mm-hmm. It's all by trade. You know, yeah. a lot of the stuff that we like over there, it's this man was teaching you this. They didn't go to culinary school per se, right. you know, but they're very good at that one craft. Like mm-hmm. that kid who learns how to, like, I don't know, like Jiro, right? Yeah. Like maybe not to that extent, but I didn't realize that um, like sushi making was a, a huge trade out there. It wasn't like you went to culinary school and you learned how to make sushi. It was, no, you were that bus boy yeah. <laughs> in the sushi restaurant. You learn like everything for years before you can move on to the next step. Yeah. Right. Like in the movie, like in that documentary, like the guy who's making like, what was it? The omelet. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, like 10 years. Over and over and over. And, you know, when you get to that level of cooking, it's really about that refinement, right? It's like, it, it's really that, that 10,000 rule, right? You do mm-hmm. something like 10,000 times or 10,000 hours before you, you master it, right? And that's what it is with like sushi or that level of cooking, right? You, it's repetitiveness, right? And so in a fine dining restaurant, you know, you're, you're peeling, you know, tomatoes or something, or you're, you're peeling, um, or you're, you're making a certain dish or preparing a certain ingredient and you're doing like hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of times just to get it to where it's like, um, it's, you create this muscle memory, mm. right? And then you get this like perfect dish that comes out of it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's different. That's a whole different level. Yeah. <laughs> whole different level of cooking. It's, it's, I mean, there's a lot to be uh, re- respected about. When I was watching this show, uh, uh, Terrace House, there was this one kid who wanted to be a chef. Mm-hmm. And then he was kind of shitting on chefs who only do one thing for the rest of their life. And he wanted to be a chef that was like, 
He's like, I don't understand how you, or not just chefs, just people in general who like who do a craft one thing for the, and do it over and over and over. He was like, I want to do a million things. And, and for me, I'm not about that. I'm no, like, I mean, that's <laughs> definitely not, right? You can't yeah. do that. And it's like, you're, what are you going to be good at? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're shitty at 10,000 things. Exactly. Good job. <laughs> you know? Right. And so like, it's, it's interesting. Like when I watch this stuff too, it's like, I wonder if that's how a lot of other younger people think. Cause he was really young, mm-hmm. you know, and he has such a hard stance on about, you know, oh, I can be great at everything. And I I don't think people realize how finite life is. Like, right. we're not going to be on this earth forever. Yeah. You know, you do have a limited amount of time and what you do with it is very fucking important. Of course. Like if I, if for example, if he wanted to be a chef and he walked into a kitchen and he goes, I can make 10,000 dishes really well. I'd like to see that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd really like to see that. Right. You know? Yeah. There's these Italian chefs that all they do is just make Italian dishes. Right. You tell them to make a, a Japanese dish, they go, what the fuck is that? Exactly. <laughs> they wouldn't know what to do. Exactly. But that Italian dish that they make this is amazing. Home run. Yeah. Home run. So There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing. There's, there's, there's an art form to it. Mm-hmm. Right? I think it, you, there's a certain level of um, respect that I have for somebody who can do something, um, one thing specifically, really, really well, and they do it over and over and over again. That's really fucking hard. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, it's it's hard to dedicate yourself to that craftsmanship. And, you know, it's okay to go out there and, like, try a million different things. Yeah. But ultimately, you got to decide on, like, a few things that you really want to hone in on and, and be good at. Right? And so, especially in the kitchen, like, you know, you can't, you can't be great at everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost impossible. I, I wish too, for a lot of people, um, because of Instagram, they would focus on, I mean, this is from personal friends that I know when I come over to eat their food, it's like, they do the best job of making their food as pretty as possible. Yeah. And then when I eat the food, I'm like, this doesn't taste like anything. What the <laughs> fuck were you doing? <laughs> you know, I'm glad it's pretty as shit. But it doesn't taste good. You know, at the end of the day, we have to eat this food. Right. You could do all the little dots and the flowers and shit. That's fine. You learned, you saw it on Instagram somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then I eat the food. I'm like, you didn't salt the fucking thing, guy. <laughs> you know, where the fuck is the salt? And I think that's what you were talking about. Just the basics of things, right? The yeah. technique. Just seasoning things correctly. You know, knowing how to grill things, put things in a pan, braise things. Right. And I think those things are are so overlooked. Because it's it's almost like they everybody wants the glory without understanding the work that get it takes to get there. Right. And I'm and I'm tasting it on a lot of these foods. It's like even something as simple as oh, this is the this is the thing that blew my mind. There's restaurants in Japan specifically where a guy just only does tempura shit. All he does is fry stuff. Yeah. I'd be surprised if he knew how to fucking um, braise something, <laughs> you know, but every dish is fried. Yeah. But when he fries it, the technique is so good, it's it's on another level. Right. I'm like, what the fuck? Why is this shit so I mean, crispy? Japan's on a different level. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. But that kind of goes to show where that technique is so important. Right. You know, it's when you look at it. Yeah. It's just like this fried piece of thing. It's It doesn't have like a flour or all this, you know, shit right. on it. But when you eat it, it's like, holy shit, it's, this is amazing. It's like perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've yet to go to Japan. I was supposed to go to Japan this year. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's, you would have loved it. Man. I know. I just, this damn pandemic sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to be in Vietnam for uh, three weeks this, uh, this year too. Yeah. And then uh, just going to go eat everything out there, specifically like places that you just normally wouldn't go to. Right. I have a friend um, who has a bunch of family out there, so they were just going to take us around. Oh yeah, and I've I, heard so many good things about Vietnam and just the amazing food and yeah, just everything. It's 
really cool. Yeah. And then uh, one of my favorite food experiences was Taiwan. Like when I had the street food there, I was like, holy shit, the fuck is all this? <laughs> yeah, that's another one too. That's another one on my list to go. Oh, Taiwan. Dude, the, the street food in Taiwan is nuts, man. Like I've heard so many good things about it. I, when I went on these food tours and they were taking me to fancy restaurants, mm-hmm. I was like, I want to get out of here yeah. and go to the street. <laughs> <laughs> right? I was like, it's good. Right. But it's missing something yeah. that the street food has. Yeah. And goes back to this person has been making gua bao mm-hmm. for their whole life. Right. <laughs> that's all they do. Yeah. They will not fuck it up, you know? And uh, that's one of the most, like, just small shit, too. Like, I remember I had this gua bao place and there's a place that does that oyster pancake, like, I think it's called Laja or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I can't find that here. And it makes me sad because after I came back to LA, I was like, somebody has to do this well in, you know, in Los Angeles. There's Taiwanese people here. Yeah. I, they don't do it. Nobody does. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, what the fuck, man? And right. so now I'm just sitting here like, I'm not going to have it until I go back to Taiwan. Yeah. You know? <laughs> food is weird. Like, it, it kind of takes you into this place where that's why I always tell people like food, food is more than just just eating something good. Right. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's this whole experience. It's just, you, you get to connect to the culture I don't know something about it. Like when I go to a country, the first thing I want to do is eat the food. Right. Yeah. Um, it's the exact same way. I think, yeah, it's the best way to experience the culture of the of the country that you're visiting. It's just through the food and through the people. Yeah. And so especially the places that you can get like really, really good cheap food on the street. And then you can also experience like really high end food. Like Japan has like really high, really cheap food. You can go to 7-Eleven and get mm. a nice yeah. sandwich. And then you can also get really expensive sushi. Same thing with like Hong Kong. Like you can get really cheap like food out of a, a from the side of the street, and then also they have these amazing like three Michelin star restaurants in there yeah. too. So there's like this whole spectrum, right? And so I love these cities where you can just go in and and try a little piece of everything. You know? Yeah. And so every time I every time I go, I travel. Like my girlfriend hates it, but I'll, I'll eat like. Three lunches and two dinners. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I have a limit. I don't live here. <laughs> yeah. I have to eat this. I absolutely have to. Yeah, I tell her it's, just, it's for research. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Though I get excited when like chefs go to another country and they come back and they bring a little bit back. Yeah, because you wouldn't have had that epiphany or that experience unless you went there. Right. Because you're trying to replicate something or yeah, kind of replicate what you the experience versus mainly the taste. It's like that. What I experienced in this bite here, I want to bring back right. and have somebody else experience that exactly. Too, you know? Like that, that was that's that's exactly the case when I went to Hong Kong a few years ago, and I was in search of this like this ham, and this ham is called uh, Jinwa ham, and so it's supposed to be like one of the best hams you can get in in like Chinese cuisine. It's usually mm-hmm. used for making like exo sauce, and it's very fragrant. So you know, it's also um, it was, it, I would compare it to, and you smell it, it smells like Iberico ham. Oh, okay. Right? Like when you, you, you take a sniff of it, it's like funky. Yeah. And so um, when I was in Hong Kong a few years ago, I, I saw one. Like usually you'll, you'll see one in stores, they already cut up. But mm-hmm. I saw one just hanging like a whole leg. Yeah. And I just saw, I was like, I got to have it. <laughs> yeah. And so I just like bought it on a whim. I didn't even think about how I'm going to get this back to America. Yeah. I just bought it. And then, so I, I had it and I was like, I was like, shoot, how am I going to get this home? Because you can't like put in your luggage yeah. and they're going to confiscate it when you get back. So me and my uncle devise a plan. He, he's like, okay, let's go to the, the post office. We'll, we'll like cover it really nice and stuff it with a bunch of other stuff. And then dogs will sniff it and yeah. things. And then we, we shipped it back to the U.S. Um, and luckily no one did uh, customs in and confiscate it. Um, but this ham is amazing. Like it's like, it's 
funky in smell. You use a lot of times in like Chinese soups or like I said, XO sauce, and it's so fragrant. And it's, yeah, it, it, it tastes like a little bit, it's a little saltier, but it tastes like a Iberico ham. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Damn, dude, you fucking smuggled a pe- I smuggled the whole leg of ham. <laughs> it's like, I was like, I'm going to get that shit. I need it immediately. Yeah. Like my girlfriend bought like these nice shoes, like for 300 bucks in, uh-huh. in Hong Kong. I bought a $300 ham. <laughs> How long did that ham last you? I, I still have it. In fact, it's, it's in my, I can't fit in my freezer. So it's in one of my friend's freezers right now. <laughs> That's fucking funny, dude. That's hilarious. Yeah. Dude, I mean, when you have like these specific ingredients, it, it can change up a whole dish, you know? Yeah. And those are one of those things like you have. It's exactly. Like, oh, you know, there's something special about this. Right. I hate it when I taste something. I'm like, I, this is so good. What the fuck is in it? You know? <laughs> and I can't, I can't pinpoint it. Mm-hmm. And then you'll ask them that I can't tell you. I'm like, well, fuck you, guy. <laughs> you know? I'm like, fuck you. I don't, I want to try to recreate it somehow, but there's always something special about it. And there's always that, that, that special ingredient and it's, it's not a, a shit ton of stuff, but right. it's that one thing. Again, yeah, it comes down to just less stuff and really about the quality of, of a couple good ingredients. Mm. You know, and that ham, I had to have it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I, I think some of my favorite Italian restaurants just do that too, right? It's just good pasta, good sauce. And then yeah. you ask them what the spell is like, no, we just, we have really good pasta that we make. And that's the biggest difference. I'm like, even when I try to make pasta at home, I'm like, man, shit tastes like ass. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why doesn't it taste like their pasta? <laughs> you know? Right. I don't know. I, I can't figure it out, but I just have to work as a fucking busboy there and then figure it out myself. <laughs> you know, when you, uh, do you, do you, I mean, you were talking about wanting to open a restaurant, you know, you know, pre pandemic. Right. Uh, are you thinking about going into the restaurant industry that way again? Gosh, it's so hard to say right now. Yeah. Right. It's cause it's scary. It's a scary world for our industry. You know, we don't know what's going to happen next. And I, I, I want to be a very optimistic, um, but when people tell me they want to open a restaurant right now during a pandemic, I just I'm just thinking to myself, why? Why do you really? Yeah. Do you, like, first of all, do you even know how hard it is running a restaurant when there isn't a pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Now you got to have you gotta have all these other health like health precautions in, in in place. So for me, it's like it may not be a traditional restaurant per se. Like you're you're sit down and like you have it. You know, you have waiters and everything. That used to be the case. That used to be the dream. I think now it's more so about um, how can I make a something that is accessible for everybody um, that is, you know, that also, you know, um, fits the mold of the future. I've been thinking a lot about like ghost kitchens, mm. right? Like I've also been thinking about like just maybe doing like a really good burger out of a ghost kitchen. Right. I've had thoughts about that. And I've had thoughts about opening up a soft serve place. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, just something simple. Like I just want to do something that is because right now it's it's so unsure, right? Like the world is so unsure about like an actual sit down restaurant. Like yeah. I, if it was if there was no pandemic, yeah, I would definitely put together a sit down restaurant. But right now with all this going on and and the way that our our industry is gonna change, right? I think that it needs to be something that's really casual. I yeah. think people are, you know, they, they now want to be at home and they don't mind ordering and, and getting takeout. You know, I think that that's a huge model that it's should be capitalized on. I think I, I would like to be able to, you know, get into that, that market somehow. I so. think I started really enjoying um, fast casual food lately. Mm-hmm. 
Um, especially because a lot of the fast casual spots, the food is like very whatever, you know, but I always look at the stuff that they're serving. I'm like, you could do this so much better, you know? Yeah. Like you really could, it's, it's, but they're not open, you know? And the only spots that I have left over are like some places I don't want to eat at. I'm like, how come you guys can't just do it a little better? <laughs> you know? I would like for, like I was just talking about the hat, right? The hat's one of those places that does something really well. Like I right. would like more of those spots, you know, where it's, yeah. It's fast. It's it's really quick food, but they mm-hmm. do it really fucking well. Yeah, and uh, like uh, some of those restaurants, they're all sit down, and I'm like, you could do something fast, casual, <laughs> you know, just do it, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I mean, I think fast casual is a good way to go right now. I think just people um, are or they they see how easy it is to just order something on Uber Eats and they can get it and deliver it to them, and you know, it's it's a good, I guess it's a good business model to get into. It's also very like low overhead to kind of get into that model yeah. versus opening up an actual like brick and mortar and you have to hire all these people. Well, right? the, the staffing is huge, <laughs> man. Just front house management, back end kitchen management, you know, just waiters, bus boys, everything else. I'm like, where, where do you guys profit? I'm like, where does the money, where's the money? Right. You know? Yeah. It's, it's like labor costs is like your biggest, one of your biggest costs, yeah. right? Like just having all these, all these people around, you know, I, 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 I can't wait for the days when they're like, you can actually have more robots in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> or they could just do the more like monotonous thing that yeah. you don't have to do. Yeah. You know, at Dodger Stadium, they have like two robots, like frying fries and- What? And, yeah. Really? Yeah. What the fuck? That's yeah. nuts. They have, they have two robots that do like, I think they do the corn dogs and they do fries. Dude, fucking Andrew Yang was right, dude. <laughs> talking about this automation. It's automation, dude. Yeah. Like, but no, for real, it's like- in our industry, like that's the scary thing, right? Like all, we have so many cooks that have been doing this repetitive task that are soon going to be replaced by robots in the next five to 10 years, Yeah, right? And so I tell a lot of my cooks like, dude, you got to like learn something else, mm-hmm. right? You got to like get better every single day because this, these robots are going to catch up to you. They're going to replace you in five, 10 years. <laughs> like. <laughs> There, there's like cooks in, in kitchens like all throughout LA have been doing the same exact thing for like 10, 15, 20 years. Oh, wow. And guess what? In the next five or 10 years, they're going to be all out of a job because it's too expensive to pay for you. I can just get a robot to chop vegetables instead. You know? And that robot can't sue your ass. And <laughs> exactly. they, don't, they don't come in with an attitude. Yeah, <laughs> They're <just> never late. <laughs> They're always timely, on time, yeah. perfect every fucking they never time. Never call out sick. You know? I know. So, yeah. I'm telling you, man, like it's like the food industry always changes. But the, like the biggest changes have been happening, happening lately. And those adjustments are, are hard. It's, it's very difficult. And like, um, I think, because we do drinks and stuff, it's it's a lot easier on my end. You know, people have asked, like, why aren't you going to open up a restaurant? I was like, I will only do a restaurant if I do back-end stuff. Right. Like, like, I can, you know, brand and market and everything else like that. But in terms of me working inside a kitchen, are you fucking nuts? Like, <laughs> I, I, that's why I respect chefs and cooks so much because I can see the chaos, you know? And somehow, and that's why I get really upset sometimes when people – they, they they treat these food workers as if, why didn't you get it perfect every time? It's like, do you know how hard that is? Yeah. You know, it's fucking difficult. Yeah. You know, like give people a little bit of grace, send your dish back and have it come back and they'll work on it for you, you know? And sometimes these Yelp reviews are so severe and harsh. And I'm like, if you only understood what it was like to work at a kitchen, 
you would understand that you're a bitch. <laughs> you're a fucking raging asshole. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Most people just have never walked in those shoes. Mm-hmm. And it's just no idea how hard it is on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you know, especially right now, it's like, you know, how, how dare you like not, you know, how dare you send anything back? It's like, these guys are barely making it right now, yeah. you know, and especially for every restaurant that's out there. And it's like, they're, they're, they're like, you know, it's, they're hanging by a thread. Yeah, you know, just skin of their teeth, just trying to make it through the next day, and so it's it's it it makes me so furious when I when I see people like complain about you know their food or anything like that, and it's like you have no idea, you have yeah, no idea. I don't know how you guys got it every time, but when you were working at Luxon, the thing that I always got was your guys's version of like broccoli beef, mm-hmm. and the steak was perfect every fucking time. How the fuck did you guys serve that shit? exactly how it was supposed to be and and there was no gray ring everywhere anywhere i'm like what the fuck what happened here how did you do this technique <laughs> you son of a bitch dude. i'm like i can't cook this like this you know that was actually one of my favorite things it was like i i liked it because you know when somebody tries to either like reconstruct a very familiar dish mm-hmm. i think like nine times out of ten i'm like just give me the regular dish but when i had that broccoli beef i was like this is fucking good dude. yeah i love that dish it was yeah. so amazing that this is a classic on there yeah, I don't think. I, it was like they had an exo sauce with it and all. No, it was it's a uh, he called it a black bean ghee. Mm. So it was like you know a, a black bean sauce with like chilies and chili oil, and then like clarified butter. Oh, yeah, it was so fucking good, dude. I think I went there for <laughs> we went there for an anniversary, and then it was like her birthday after. That. I was like, let's just go yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. So there were definitely some. Some definitely hits on there that we people would just come back for all the time. That's why so. I didn't listen to a lot of these reviews sometimes because mm-hmm. like Luxshot, I think had like three and a half stars, right? And was, I went, there. yeah, it was three and a half stars mostly because of I think it was their like servers or something. Oh, like yeah. <laughs> and at the point, I was like, the fuck are you talking about? This place is amazing. Like I didn't ever eat anything that I disliked. I yeah. was like, this place is fucking dope. And we would keep going back, but I remember friends like, ah, it's three and a half. I was like, but you gotta. You got to give these restaurants a chance. Yeah. Like you can't live and die always by these Yelp reviews. Right. Give it a go and see what happens. If you're interested, try it. Yeah. You know? I tell my girlfriend that exact same <laughs> thing. I'm like, you can't look at Yelp for like recommendations, you know? Just, yeah. Just go and just try it, you know? And and a lot of times Yelp reviews aren't even true. Yeah. So. Like I, it's like a 50-50 chance. Like um, I, I forgot. I'm, I'm blanking on this restaurant, but I read the reviews and I was like, huh. But I'm looking at the food. I'm like that looks pretty fucking good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> went there. It was like a taco shop, right? And I went mm-hmm. there, I was like, this is fucking good. I don't know what you're talking about. But I understand it because it, it, they're talking about their service or something bad happened during the day. I'm like, I'm asking about the food here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is the food good? Yes or no? You right. know, I don't care what happened about you and your fucking dog that day. Like, what what happened with the food? They're like the food was delicious, but this serve I don't give a fuck. Moving on, <laughs> you know. I, I personally don't care. I remember know? when like Yelp first came out, and like all these Chinese restaurants would all get like really bad reviews, not because of the food, but because of the service. <laughs> I was like, you should expect that, right? You should expect that from a Chinese restaurant. Just I would to have read terrible these, uh, service. reviews on these like my favorite Vietnamese restaurants. Like that person had their thumb in my soup. I was like, that place is good. <laughs> I was like, that's the one I'm going to. This place had a B. Well, the Bs are the best. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it has an A for cleanliness? Fuck yeah, that restaurant. Nah. <laughs> yeah, too much time. They're not, they're not busy enough. To- <laughs> <laughs> no, I need a couple of cockroaches here and there. I need the, uh, the fucking floor mat to be a piece of cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I fucking like. Like that's my favorite restaurant, like Vietnamese restaurants too. It's like when I walk in and it smells a little bit like chlorine, 
<laughs> and bleach. <laughs> I go into the bathroom, the fucking mop and the buckets in there, and I'm like, mm, this is gonna be a delicious meal. <laughs> I can already. Tell. I think it was Ali Wong that made that joke. Where oh, did like, she? Like you, you, you know, you're you're in a good Vietnamese restaurant. When you walk into the bathroom and you see like the mop closet in there. As yeah, hundred well. <laughs> percent. The mop closet, and it always smells a little bit like fucking bleach or some shit. And I'm like, they only mix like bleach and water, and they clean everything with it. And no. I'm like, oh, this this Vietnamese restaurant is gonna be the fucking shit, dude. I already know, man. Yeah. <laughs> And it's those are those like mom and pop stores. Exactly. You know, and I it's so sad now that you made me think like, oh, these restaurants might actually disappear. And I might be left with these fucking cheese pull restaurants only. I'm like, son of a bitch, these people better inherit these restaurants, man. Dude, I mean, I was listening to David Chang and he was talking about how like, yeah, a lot of these mom and pops are probably gonna disappear and we're gonna be stuck with like restaurants like Applebee's and and uh, all these other chains. Oh, I'll be so fucking sad, like, man. You, you think about it, like these are the chains are the ones that are getting their asses saved, mm-hmm. right? The mom and pops aren't getting their asses saved. They're, you know, they're, they're, the government's not helping them out, right? Yeah. They're literally, like I said, they're they're hanging by a thread, you know, trying to make ends meet, trying to make it through the next day, you know? And it's like you, these other chain restaurants, they're going to be around. You yeah. Know? They're, they're owned by these large, rich people. Yeah. So it's the mom and pops that need our help. Oh man, people, I, I've been, I always say this to myself, I'm going, uh, I'm going to support restaurants. And I'm just going to order out every, everything this week. It's not really for them. It's for me. <laughs> you know? And I'm just like gaining an absorbent amount of weight right. because I'm telling myself I'm being a good person. <laughs> I was like, I was a really good person. I ate out four times today. Right. Yeah. Like one of my favorite restaurants, um, like we talked about was Cost and Pie, you know, that little brunch place. Like I, mm-hmm. I go there so often, but even then they, they were struggling. Yeah. And then one of the more popular restaurants in the South Pass area, you know, people don't understand to to have somebody bake everything that you eat in there, there's the labor cost is high. Right. You know, and they're just like, oh, this place is so good. And I'm like, that takes fucking a lot of hard and effort to make that shit. Yeah. Like most people don't realize that you have 30 to 35% of food cost, right? You know, you're, you're a really good restaurant. You're under 30%. Most restaurants is like 30, 35%. Damn. And then you have like another um, 35 to 40% in labor costs, Right. And then you have your overhead. And so your your profit margin is like 5%, you know? Fuck. It's like, it's like a tiny little piece that you, you can profit off of, right? And so if these restaurants right now, they aren't packed, right? And they, they're designed to profit when they're packed, mm. right? That's the business model. That's the only way that they were, that's when they, when they wrote the plans up and everything. Like, okay, we're going to be successful if we're going to be, have this X amount of people come in every single day, Right. Well, now they don't have that coming in, right? So now their profit margin is completely slashed. And so they're hanging, they're just hanging, you know, trying to make it buy. So yeah. it's, it's, I always explain this to a, a buddy of mine in uh, one of these restaurants we're doing well. He goes, well, how are they not doing well? Their, their fucking dishes are like $12 each. And it's like, bro, shut up. Right. <laughs> you, you don't know what it takes to make that dish that right. you enjoy. Exactly. <laughs> you know, there's there's so much more to it. And I wish people would really understand right. that. It would it would make you give I would just have a little bit of empathy, you know? Right. Like just a little bit, just for these people that Especially are Especially if you're ordering out right now, like mm-hmm. on those apps like Postmates and Uber. Dude, they take everything. They take everything from you. Like they charge 30%. Yeah. You know, that's that's you got nothing left after that. A hundred percent. Cause you know, we have shrimp daddy and everything yeah. else. And, the, you know, you guys order from that. It's cool. You know, we're, we're able to, we're keeping that open so we could pay our staff and we're, you know, we're doing okay. But all that profit's gone by the time it comes to you. you exactly. Know? And we're just doing it because we want to feed people. Right. People <laughs> you know? have no idea, like, 
you know, where the numbers go, right? They have no idea how expensive it, it is to like make food. And that's another thing when people like think about opening a restaurant, they don't, they don't realize like how little money you can make off, off of this business. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's, um, it, it's, you know, again, they, they romanticize, you know, what it is to be, to have a restaurant, to own a business, you know, they think it's an American dream, but yeah. you know, you gotta, you gotta have some grit to be able to survive some, you know, the, the, the rough times, especially right now. Yeah. After, after Drips and Swirls closed down, one of the partners, you know, he was asking me, he goes, well, cause a partner that I, you know, he was the one that I, we, we were still on good terms. So he goes, well, let's take that small spot and, you know, start doing food in there. And I'm like, I don't think you understand <laughs> <laughs> how difficult that is. We had soft serve. Right. We did this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've seen that space. There's no way you can do food out exactly. there. There's no way you can put any burner back there. There's <laughs> not, there's no possible way. I was way. like, what would we serve, man? I'll just have three <laughs> air fries in there and then try to do, what are we going to do here? You know, yeah. uh, like the most thing that we would be able to do is like cold sandwiches, I guess. You, right. You know, but we would still need a prep kitchen. Exactly. That. And that's going to cut into a huge part of our cost. So it's like, ugh. <laughs> Soft serve made the most sense. <laughs> soft, soft serve is the only thing that made sense there, you know, and it, it was great. It did well. People loved it. I miss that shit till this day, man. Like I, I had so many plans for it. It's one of those things where I look, I don't regret it, but it's more like, uh, like Korean is like, Akawa is like, um, what a waste. You know, what right. a shame. <laughs> you know, I saw the potential that was there. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's a shame when you, when you get into business with people that just don't get the business. Yeah. The business side is the part that people always forget. Right. You know, they, at, the, at the end of the day, yeah, cooking is a passion. Cooking is an art. But you have to make money to keep it alive. You know? you And I think one of the hardest things that – I don't know if you ever went this when you were probably like a younger chef. But criticism and critique was something that a lot of people can't take. Right. You know? It's, it's hard. It feels like a personal attack. Right. But when you have a business – when things don't go well or things aren't selling right, it's not an attack on you as a chef, as a person. It's right. more like I have staff that I need to pay and I need to make sure I need to make sure they walk away with a paycheck. Yeah. Cause that's my worry every time. It's it's not even about me. It's about the staff. It's like, fuck, like these people work here. Right. If my business goes down, they don't make money. And right. it makes me nervous. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I think you know, being a business owner is that's like one of the the, the stresses that you get to take on and mm -hmm. it's like most people don't know they don't understand that yeah you know they never, they never ran a business and so it's like it's tough it's really tough in a in a restaurant setting so you get you just got to have that grit you know and it's like passion only gets you so far yeah right like you know for me it's like um as i get older it's like you know this the food that i create yeah i'm passionate about it but you know some days i'm not very passionate about it right some days i really don't won't even be in the kitchen, right? And so, um, and I think you know your the your grit, like your determination and your your work ethic, really gets you through those those days of like not actually want to be there. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you wanted to open up a, a soft serve spot. Yeah. What would what would your plans be for a soft serve place? What would my plans be? And just, I, I mean, for a soft serve spot, like. The thing is, for a chef, you don't really need to be there, right? I yeah. think it's just like creating an R&D part. Yeah. yeah, you just create the system, you mm -hmm. know? You create a system for how they should function, the formulas for like the recipes for the soft serve, got a couple machines, you hire some good people, and that thing should pretty much run itself at that point. Like, there's you would no, think. 
You would think. <laughs> you, you would think. think. <laughs> From a man who said he ran a kitchen with like 200 people, you fuck face. <laughs> I hope you're dead. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, you hire good people. I think that's, that's the key point, right? You hire good people. Yeah. I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a good system, if you have a good system in place, you have the right person to run that system, you should be able, that business should run. Yeah. Right. And like soft serve has such a great profit margin, you know, and, and you can like, again, it's just like you all, as a chef, all you got to do is make sure you get the recipes and the systems in place and hire some good people and then check on it every once in a while. You don't need to be there like 24 seven. Right. And it's like, it's a great, I think it's a great business model. You know, <sighs> so I thought too, man. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, I it's funny because I missed that spot because I used to just go there and I'm like, I want, I want some soft serve. Right. <laughs> I would go there and eat and I'm like not there anymore like i love soft serve like there's not enough soft serve places in la for sure man uh, i'm telling you like soft soft serve makes me happy dude it's it's one of those things like i i still go to mcdonald's only for the soft serve. <laughs> i'll go there and i'll get a dollar cone for the drive-thru and i'm out like i, I look at somi somi right mm-hmm. like they're everywhere yeah. right like they got they, they just blew up like mm-hmm. people love soft serve i mean i hate looking at it now because everyone has it and everyone's yeah. like just like so about it but it, it's you can, it just shows you like it, it can, it can succeed in a lot of different markets. And, and the thing is with ice cream, everybody loves ice cream. Yeah. Who doesn't? Right. Yeah. Like if you don't like ice cream, like there's something wrong with you, but <laughs> you know, there's, there's like, there's, there's definitely a market for it. Right. It's, even the neighborhood I live in now, I live in like West Adams in LA and like, there's this like up and coming area in LA and there's a lot of cool trendy restaurants coming in, but there's no like good burger shop. Mm. And there's no ice cream shop, right? The like, staples. <laughs> the staples. <laughs> Those right are like there. two things that you should have in like every neighborhood, right? And so I'm like, I'm like planning, I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, is it is now the time to pull, you know, pull the trigger and like open up a softer <laughs> spot, right? So I mean softer yeah. spots are 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 also, I think it's um what's the word I'm looking for? Uh pandemic resistance <laughs> you know it's anything resistant yeah they come in you get your saucer and you're out either way yeah like pre-covid or not that's how it was done right and so you know when when covid happened i was like fuck like you know i'm like please if it was just there it was doing so well and what i liked about the place too was just we only had four flavors there, yeah. there wasn't much right you know four flavors and people enjoyed it for what it was mm-hmm. it, the, the we didn't have an absorbent amount of toppings or anything else like that. Right. It was, oh, these are the flavors. This is how it is. Right. Um, you can make small modifications. But right. because we didn't allow you to put 30 toppings, people got their stuff in and out fast. Yeah. Faster than any other softer spot out there, hands down. Right. You know, it's like, I know that it tastes good like this. So this is what you're going to get. If you don't like it, that's okay. Yeah. You like when I, when I first saw it come about, I, like, I was like, that's a good idea. That's a good spot. That's low overhead. But then I was like... Well, hope the person running it's going to do a good job. <laughs> and it did not happen. So. Motherfucker getting high and shit. <laughs> fucking coming, <clears throat> going to EDC during the time. Like, it was like, it was ridiculous. This one went to EDC, came back with fucking sunglasses and shades and beads around his fucking neck. But all the employees there, I'm like, you are an asshole. <laughs> like, how dare you? I mean, you can do that if you have the right systems in place, right? Oh, for sure. Right? Like, you know, if it was me, like, I could set it up where I don't have to be there. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's, it comes down to, again, a good, like manager or somebody who knows how to build systems yeah. right and make sure it functions without it functions with the right people yeah right and 
And again, it's just down to those those basic oh, business a, things. Oh man, <laughs> the motherfucker told me he knew how to do it. He lied to me. <laughs> he both place lied to me. Motherfucker said I ran two a kitchen with two hundred people. Soft serve easy. This fool broke down. <laughs> I remember uh, we had this the the fucking the the nozzle for just for the the cold brew. He lied to me about that. I was like, come on, bro. I know what fucking uh, like cold brew supposed to be like. This nitro cold brew. The the Biggest part of nitro cobra that I personally enjoy is the froth. Yeah. You know, that's that creaminess that mm-hmm. I enjoy. He goes, Oh, we can't do it with this. I'm like, Bro, get the fuck out of here with this shit. Looked it up. I was like, Your shit's all fucked up. I did one Google search, you know, and lo and behold, you confront somebody like that, they just start stuttering like a madman. Like, Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 I'm like, Oh, God, you are a habitual liar. I had no fucking idea. Yeah. My fault, though. I always. Uh, my my biggest curse is that I, I I tend to gravitate towards a lot of artists, you know, because right. I think what they create is amazing. I will never knock that dude that he never made good food. Like his shit tasted great. Yeah, but that's literally ten percent of it for in the, in the restaurant industry. Right, it's so small. You know, I didn't know that, and that was mm-hmm. my fault. And I thought, and I kind of trusted my, I trusted them to do stuff that they said they knew how to do, and um. When you have somebody like me who's very curious, who wants to learn, and they just didn't know what to do. They thought I was problematic. I'm like, oh, because you're stealing? <laughs> and I'm asking you where the money went? You know? Right. So, you know, for me, like, I I, I'm, I definitely learned a lot, though. So it was, it was a good learning experience. It was a, it was a crash course in, in uh, even how small it was in the, re- in, like, food industry. Was that your, that was your first, like? That was my very first one. All right. And then took those lessons and brought it over to two, uh, well, two three other concepts. So it's like, yeah. Oh, now I know. A little better now. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Oh, Again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, just learning from your mistakes. <laughs> I know. What a fucking two-year mistake, huh? That shit was that shit was long, man. Right. It was very, very long. And I and I and I definitely enjoyed what I liked about the most was when people come in and they enjoyed the food. And I think that's what I was kind of surviving off of was having people come in, they go, I love the soft serve and it made right. me feel so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was like a drug almost. It was mm-hmm. like, damn. And when people didn't like it, it, it didn't make me angry. It made me upset that I didn't get to give them something that I, that I felt when I had the soft serve. Right. So it, it's weird. Like food, food, I have a weird relationship with food. I just want people to be happy with what they eat, you know? Yeah. I think I think you're you're a chef at heart. You know, I think everybody <laughs> you just want people to be happy with the food that you're gonna you know you just want to feed people, right? You just want to make yeah. sure they feel good after they leave. What is it about that, dude? What is it? Like it's it's just it's like a weird joy, you know? Like weird. I don't know, it makes me smile. <laughs> I, I have the same feeling. That's why I became a chef. You know? yeah. Like I I when I was a kid or even high school, I used to like have uh, I used to make food and my friends would taste it and they they enjoyed it and that's why I got into it. Mm. You know? So um, I, I just, it's just in us, you know, I think, you know, it, it's people that love food want or just want to take care of people, you yeah. know, and that's part about feeding others. It's like, you're, when you're, it's like, when you're, uh, like growing up Chinese, like our way, our way, or the way our parents said, I love you is like, have you eaten yet? <laughs> yeah. Right. Have, you know? And so that was, that's the same way for me. It's like me feeding people is my way of like showing this person love. Mm. right my way of showing affection right if i spend a lot of time preparing this meal you know it's it's my way of showing them that i care about them you know i want to make sure that you're well nourished Mm -hmm. right so yeah i I think that that's probably a huge thing about too my mom used to say uh, i get full when i see you guys eat 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like watching somebody enjoy a meal kind of satisfies them for yeah. some reason, you know? And that was the same feeling when somebody had the soft serve, they eat it and they go, oh, this, I can't wait to come back. I'm like, damn, I don't know why that makes me feel so good. <laughs> like that makes me feel awesome. You know, it's like, I, I gave them something that uh, it's like, we're almost sharing us. We're sharing a similar experience without any words. Yeah. You know, it's just, I could share happiness with you. Mm-hmm. It's weird. You know, oh, man. I miss that place. <laughs> I miss it so much. It was, it was, it was so fun. Let's open the soft serve spot. <laughs> Dude, you let me fucking know. You let me know, bro. Anything you touch, I'm down to do it. Like, honestly, one of the biggest things, like, especially when I started cooking food was when, um, when you, when I met you guys at Little Meats, mm-hmm. right? And I've always loved eating food, especially as a fat fuck. Like I would just eat all the time, yeah. you know, but I didn't also, I didn't also realize how important it was for you to know how to cook in, in order for you to also enjoy food more. And, you know, watching you guys cook and watching you guys do this, especially because you guys were already working and you did this on your spare time. I can't even believe how I did that. I, mean, I don't know how you did it either, dude. <laughs> like, I was like, I was, already, I was already working like 60 hours. I work, I worked literally six days a week. And then on my off day, I did little meats on a Sunday. <laughs> I was like, you're, you're fucking nuts, dude. When I was watching you guys work, right? And, you know, Robin told me, hey, this, he's working all the time and this is his spare time. I'm like, he's a fucking maniac. Like, what, what's, what, how does he have a personal life, you know? But, but watching how you guys would just serve and just develop that relationship with food was something that I was missing because I didn't cook, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I cook at home here and there and it was something fun, but I never really took the time to understand how difficult it was to make these dishes that I enjoyed. And when I started trying to do it myself and I was fucking up consistently, I didn't even know how to cook a steak until I met you. Really? (laughs) Right? I didn't fucking know shit. I knew how to like cook very specific dishes that I knew how to do well, that Mm -hmm. I learned from my mom or something else. But in terms of making more than five or six dishes, no. Mm. I would look, I had the same problem. I would look into a fridge and say, there's no food here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But now I'm like, there's a bunch of veggies. I could do something with this, fry it up, put it into a fried rice, make a good, Mm -hmm. um, like a soup or a jige with it. Mm -hmm. I can figure it out. I know my wheelhouse now. I didn't have that before when I met you, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, again, it's just, people just need to get in, get in the kitchen. It's just like, you know, if you love to, if you love food, then it should be a easy transition to get in the kitchen and just try something. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's, you, know, you can't be afraid to just make a mistake. And I think that holds a lot of people back. They're just, they're so fearful of making mistakes. Yeah. So. I, I even something small too, like appreciating like how to make good eggs, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is a little more difficult than I thought it was. Yeah. You know, I'm like over here going to a restaurant. I didn't make my eggs right. And I'm like, I'm making it at home. Like I didn't make the eggs right. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh shit. I was like, how come their scrambled egg is so much better than mine? Right. You know, and I'm like watching them cook it. I'm like, oh, that's a little more uh, involved than I expected out of scrambled eggs. Right. You know? I remember my girlfriend, when we first started dating, like her eggs were okay. And I finally taught her how to make like nice, soft, like, silky french style like scrambled eggs yeah now she gets it every single time so <laughs> it's so my, my fucking fiance is so weird so you know with with eggs i always had like a gratuitous amount of butter mm-hmm. right and you just shake up the pan you get those curdles and it turns this little soft scrambled egg she hates it like that really she likes it denny style hard as fuck oh <laughs> <laughs> and she goes these eggs aren't cooked enough. I was, I will fucking stab you right now. <laughs> you know, she wants it this this hard brick of eggs. Mm-hmm. I think it's because it's what she grew up with. Right. So that's how she likes it. Yeah. And so whenever I make my eggs, I have to make her eggs separately because <laughs> she she wants it 
cooked all the way through, that's dry the, as fuck. That's the thing with eggs, though. Is just people like them the specific way. You <laughs> yeah. know? Like, there's so many, that's why there's like a hundred different ways to cook an egg. and just Over easy, sunny side yeah, up. Everybody wants them all, all different. Yeah. So One of my favorite ways to cook eggs is in that fucking the Asian style and just oil and you just fry the fuck. It's like deep yeah. frying a fucking egg. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to do it until I, was, I saw it at a Thai restaurant where I was looking at the back. I'm like, so that's how they do it. It's like yeah. a shit ton of fucking oil. Yeah, you know, literally fry it. And they literally deep fry that bitch and they toss oil on top of it. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I had no idea. It's like, nobody told me the, the tricks of the fucking trade. Yeah. You know, it's awesome though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, uh, that wraps up this episode of the podcast, man. I hope everybody uh, enjoyed this food talk. Uh, I know there's a lot of people out there who want to open up restaurants and, you know, kind of get into the food space, but it's definitely something that's a lot more involved than a lot of people think. And I think just from this conversation alone, what I'm thinking is just start with that passion first and be willing to learn and make mistakes, right? Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So where can they find you, man? Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Matt Ewan Cooks, spell M-A-T-T-Y-U-E-N. Cooks. I keep doing those fucking cooking videos. I'm always waiting for them. <laughs> Are you? All yeah, right. I, I right. like it because okay. it's so simple and straightforward. I'm like, oh shit, this is dope. <laughs> you know? I will definitely post more. Especially because I like that you make the food out of just stuff that you have. It's, it's, right. It's not like you went out to the to the grocery store to create this very specific dish. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is what I have. I'm going to make something really good out of it. Right. I'll definitely do more. Make sure that you do more because I'm putting it out there that you will. <laughs> and so people are going to see this. All right. <laughs> cool. Well, guys, uh, Genius Brain Podcast every Thursday and Sundays. And we will see you guys next time. Peace.